Welcome to Biomechanics on Our Minds. My name is Melissa Boswell. And I'm Hannah O'Day, and we're PhD students at Stanford University. This podcast is brought to you by the International Society of Biomechanics. It's, it's time, time for Boom. Welcome to Boom. We have Biomechanics on Our Minds. Boom. 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 I'm Hannah. And I'm Melissa. And welcome back to Boom. Yes, welcome to 2020. Whoa, it is the new year. It is the new year. <laughs> Do you have any resolutions? Um, I don't make resolutions. I don't really either. Yeah. I, I think we talked about this last year. We do sort of goals or more holistic. Oh, like, yeah. I love repeating myself. <laughs> <laughs> so go back my, to last year's episode and listen to that. January. My goal is to just repeat everything I did from 2019. <laughs> Copy, paste, over. <laughs> <laughs> but cut a lot. <laughs> Maybe insert. Just trim a little bit. <laughs> no, I'm excited for this year. Um Yeah. I think it'll be. I think it'll be a good one. I think it, it, we're gonna be living in the roaring twenties. Wow! <laughs> what a time. Well, we'll start this year off right with. Yeah, um, we have an awesome interview today with Nachi Chakalingam, who is a professor of clinical biomechanics at the Staffordshire University in England. And aside from his amazing accent, he also has some really awesome experiences <laughs> to share with us. Yeah, I love how his work has a lot of applications in the regulatory side of uh, medicine. Mm -hmm. So it's cool to see research translated to, to have that kind of impact. Yeah. And it's interesting to see that side of things, I think, because we usually are so deep on the research and technological side. But to really see the things that are required to make these uh, this research have impact and meaningful change. Yeah, cool. totally. All right. Well, let's start off with a bit of boom. 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 So today's bit of boom was actually pulled from Nachi's Twitter feed. Um, when we were looking him up before the interview, we found this super fun <laughs> fact. Um, well, it was a new article that was published in PLOS One. And the uh, it was by the first author is Tomoki Kojima, and the name of the article is "Cows Painted with Zebra-Like Striping Can Avoid Biting Fly Attack." Whoa, biting fly attack! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and basically, um, these these researchers in Japan uh, painted cows with zebra stripes. Um, the hypothesis is that uh, stripes on zebras wards away flies um, and keeps them from biting them. Hmm. So they decided to test this theory by painting painting zebra stripes on cows. Yeah, it was really cool that like they thought the stripes would actually confuse the insect sort of motion detection systems that mm. controls how flies approach or land on the animals. Um, Interesting. Yeah, so... It's super relevant to, I feel like we always think about motion and how um, sort of the underlying mechanisms, but then we don't mm -hmm. necessarily think about how it's perceived, right? So Yeah, that's so true. And it, so it ended up working, right? It reduced the bite, bites by like 50%. For 50%. That's a lot. So I feel like we should just like spread this to the U.S., like go around selling black paint to the, <laughs> <laughs> these giant uh, Well, we have to farms. sell white paint. Well, it's like we painted sell... on the. 
Some cows are okay, brown. No, you have the white paint. I'll have the black paint. And okay, then together, and then together we we'll make sell. the stripes. I wish it worked on mosquitoes and then we could just like paint ourselves with stripes. I think that we should test this. We should test that for sure. Um, and I love that they included that they painted them with non-toxic materials. Mm-hmm. And they noted that like um, like this is something that can be applied um, in farms and it could be like a cheaper and healthier way for livestock rather than um, pesticides, which are typically used. Yeah, and so. maybe toxic or harmful to the animals. Yeah. Or, yeah, who knows, but... Exactly. Yeah. I think... Yeah, I think we should test this. Maybe we don't have to paint stripes on ourselves. We could just buy, like, zebra clothing. That's a good idea. So just buy zebra go... onesies. Exactly. Can... And then, like, you can wear them. Like, it's... can You can be use it's that versatile. for, like, so many other so many reasons. Other yeah. Yeah. Great. All right, we'll get back to y'all <laughs> on how that goes. <laughs> Today, Hannah and I are really excited to be talking with Nachi Chakalingam, who is Professor of Clinical Biomechanics and a Fellow of the Institute of Physics and Engineering and Medicine at Staffordshire University in Staffordshire, England. Thank you for talking with us, Nachi. Well, thank you for having me. First question that we usually like to start our interviews off with, when did you first know that you wanted to be a biomechanist? always been fascinated by engineering and technology. Um, I didn't think about being a biomechanist when I started. Uh, it is it is when I grew up, new science, technology, and I used to be a bit of a geek reading stuff. And uh, when I did my engineering, uh, I did instrumentation engineering in South India where I grew up. And I've always wanted to do medicine and applications of engineering and medicine. That's how I ended up um, in biomechanics. So you really came from like the clinical focus? Um, I, I wouldn't say I came from clinical focus. Um, right. I, I did uh, instrumentation engineering degree and I wanted to do medical instrumentation. At that time, it was all about imaging and medical physics and all that. Right. So I went on to do master's in biomedical engineering science. And uh, as a part of my master's program, my major project was on wheelchairs and biomechanics and gait analysis. And um, that's how I got my interest in biomechanics and gait analysis. And since then, I've been working on gait analysis and movement analysis. In what point in your career, in your life, did you move out of the country? Right. <laughs> um, as any typical um kind of Indian uh, that time would do. I did my engineering degree in India, and then I moved to Scotland to do my master's degree. I went to Dundee to do my master's, and that's the mm-hmm. point that I moved to uh, the UK. And was how was that transition like, uh, the difference in... <laughs> It, it was it was interesting experience. Uh, definitely the first day that um, I, I came to Scotland. I've never been to um, any other country before that. I I flew into Manchester, if I remember right, and then um, I took a train down to Dundee where I did my master's. And it was Friday evening and um, my halls of residence and everything was... I, I arrived late and everything was closed. Uh, oh. And that itself is an interesting experience. And I went for dinner and they served haggis. So my first experience walking into the uh, 
the the dinner place was the smell of haggis. So I still remember okay. it even after twenty five years. So, uh, but but it was it was an exciting experience. It is fantastic. I I made friends for life. Uh, we still keep in touch and all that. And uh, it was it was a very very good experience and put me in good stead for um, the career that I have really. And as you mentioned, so your research spans the areas of musculoskeletal biomechanics and gait analysis, and then special interest in scoliosis and footwear biomechanics. Can you tell us a little bit more about the current projects you're working on? I'm I'm one of those people who kind of get involved in everything. Um, yeah. So in in general, although my area of work is musculoskeletal biomechanics, um. My doctoral thesis was on scoliosis. Scoliosis is a three-dimensional deformity of the spine where the spine bends and also twists. And typically, it's uh, more prevalent in girls than in boys. And I was interested in a specific type of scoliosis called adolescent idiopathic scoliosis, which mainly um, is um, in girls uh, as opposed to boys. And as the name suggests, uh, it's idiopathic in nature. We don't know uh, the causative factors of the scoliosis. So I assumed um, that the the curve progression in this type of scoliosis is mechanical in nature. So I applied some of the biomechanical principles to understand the curve progression. That's what my PhD was on. I still do a lot of work in that space. We currently have a British Scoliosis Research Foundation funded project to understand um, gait and movement, subtle movement and activities of daily living in uh, in these children. Hmm. So that then led me on to other work that I've done, small research projects in spine and back. Also, in the last four or five years, majority of our work is on uh, diabetic foot. Oh, wow. So understanding uh, the plantar soft tissue mechanics of diabetic foot. I will, we'll discuss that in detail. If I could give you a flavor for the areas of work that I do, then we could we could pick up on some of these topic areas. So scoliosis is one aspect. Diabetic foot is another aspect. I'm also involved with some work in terms of assistive technology and assistive devices, mainly in the area of... Um, policy and practice around the world, and also orthotics. The other major thing that I've done for many, many years is looking at foot and footwear biomechanics. Because um, when I finished my master's and I went back to India for a brief period where I'd established a gate lab in a leather research institute, now you might question me, oh, biomechanics, where does leather come in? Um, so in India, there are several types of government research institutes, and one of them in South India in Chennai is Central Leather Research Institute, where I started working as a scientist. It's funded by international agencies. We set up the first ever gate lab in India. Back in, uh, if I remember right, it was 1993, I think. Then it was working closely with the footwear industries to explore some of the footwear biomechanics aspects. So since that time, again, I've been involved with footwear biomechanics, footwear materials, and orthotics. So the underpinning connection with all of these areas are musculoskeletal biomechanics. And when someone asks me what I do, and I tend to say, 
I'm a scientist who's interested in measuring human form and function. Yeah, it's amazing that you sort of are interested in so many different things and how your path has kind of gone from scoliosis to interested in being interested in the spine and the back and then how that's just like led into so many other areas because I feel like that's really a theme that we realize as biomechanists, even if we zoom in on one area that we're studying, we realize that that area is really affected by lots of different channels and sort of trickle down effects from other places. So it's cool that you have a very holistic sort of picture of some of these musculoskeletal issues and um, even have contributed to policy. As, as you would have come across, biomechanics is really inter- and multidisciplinary. We are one of those group of people who are happy to work with variety of professions and professionals to understand what they do and then give our bit to um, kind of promote that area of work and also enhance that area of work. Yeah, and I think we were particularly interested when we we read about you being able to work with the World Health Organization in developing some of this policy and global standards for prosthetics and orthotics. And I'm sure that, like you just said, had to have involved talking with lots of different people and professions. Um, so we're just wondering what that experience was like. I'm sure, how is it different maybe than like what you normally do in your research and how have you seen impact in that area? Absolutely. The, the thing is, uh, I'm again, I'm one of those people who is really interested in translating the work that we do in the lab. It's not about we could do quite a lot of stuff in the lab, but it's, if it's not being used, then it's of no use. So most of the research that I lead and I help out with would have some kind of purpose and immediate translational um, aspect to it. And some of the stuff that I've done uh, right from my days in the ND as a master's student um, is to look at some of these either in GATE or on assistive technology. So when I had an opportunity to work with the uh, International Society of Prosthetics and Orthotics on a couple of things, and then this opportunity came up, um, WHO had just asked for a tender for someone to look at a systematic review on orthotic and prosthetic service provision around the world, the effectiveness and cost effectiveness of it. So um, without me claiming all the credit, one of my colleagues, uh, Aoife Healy, Aoife and I looked at it, and then we, we did a systematic review to find out that it's there's been quite a lot of developments in terms of prosthetics and orthotics. There's been quite a lot of developments in terms of material science, but there is no structured research or um, no one has looked at it in a systematic way which would help us understand the effectiveness of these devices and also the cost effectiveness of devices. So that then led, on, led us on to working more closely with some of these government and non-governmental agencies to understand this further. And this is an area that we are pursuing. I even had a chat with a couple of uh, people this morning about looking at cost effectiveness so that we could have an impact in the developing and underdeveloped regions of the world. So again, last week we had a publication in BMJ Open. For that, it's in the same area of work is that we looked at UK as a country, we we requested information from all health trusts and um, boards in terms of their orthotic service provision. What we did, found out what that, exactly the orthotic service provision. 
when I say orthotic service provision, say for example, in the UK, the health service, uh, the NHS provides all healthcare needs for the population, right? Okay. So it's free at the point of uh, delivery. So in that case, it's not like uh, an American model where we need to have an insurance and then we claim it and all that. So if someone needs an orthotic or prosthetic, the NHS provides the same thing with surgery or any other healthcare need. Okay. So in, in that sense, uh, we wanted to look at how these trusts uh, operate, what are the cost, uh, costs and what type of staff they have and the whole array of things. So we asked for all the information. Then we found out that the records were not accurate enough for us to kind of deduce some of the stuff which would then lead on to policy and practice development. So even in a country like UK, where we spend so much money, um, it is the orthotic service provision, still a postcode lottery. That's what we ended up saying in our paper, which we published last week. So if this is the case in a developed country like the UK, think of um, some of the countries in Africa or in Asia or South America, they don't have a mature health service provision. And obviously, costs are going to be high. So these people need structured support. So that's one of the aims for me now is to do further work, which would then influence policy in these countries. So when I talk about WHO, now WHO has come up with um, assisted products list. So they've got the priority products where it becomes a basic human right. So that's the easiest way to explain it. Mm. So every country assigned up to the WHO charter would provide those products to its population. If that's the case, yeah, either I'm not talking about whether they got to buy it, whether it will be provided through insurance or whether it will be provided by the government or whatever, but it will be available for the people. If that's the case, people like you and I have a huge role to play in developing cost-effective solutions and also affordable technology for these people. And that's what we are working on. Yeah, that's great work and and seems like a tough problem and gets into like equity and all those fun issues that we don't necessarily feel like sometimes, at least I don't think about on a day-to-day basis. So I yeah. really important work. The other thing is many of us sit in the lab. We do have a group of patients. It could be a research project we are working on. could be a group of patients that we are testing. And then we have developed something. Oh, it's fantastic. We have got the results we want to get. Or we didn't get the results. And then we say why we didn't get the results. And then we publish a paper. And then that's it. We don't really think much wider than that. And then once you start thinking that there are countries where there's only, for a, for, for a population of so many millions, there is only one qualified or two qualified prosthetist orthotists for the whole country. There are wow. countries like that where there's no board certified PO personnel. If that's the case, and if the government doesn't step in, if the, uh, if the intergovernmental agencies doesn't step in now with solid policies, then it's going to be very, very difficult. So it's... I think I'm I'm at that stage where I want to create that impact. And that's where we are working on to see how best we could create that impact. Because then you can allow for possibly more qualified prosthetists when they have sort of like better guidelines to follow 
Absolutely. Training is one aspect of it. Again, uh, I, I had a student who's also a senior orthotist in a, in a nearby hospital, um, Nikki Edson, and all her work on kids with cerebral palsy is about um, her work is on A4, which is ankle foot orthoses, footwear tuning. And mm-hmm. as a part of that project, we looked at uh, the training of the current P&O personnel and then what uh, drawbacks that they got and all, all that. And we have published a couple of papers on that space. Again, that that there is a clear need for uh, improvement in training. Mm-hmm. And as I said early on, we all have a role to play in the sense that we are, we are at a stage where we work with a variety of professionals. Mm-hmm. And uh, when, I, when I speak to an orthopedic surgeon um, and then try to kind of... Um, discuss a problem with spinal instrumentation or a a hip transplant or or the other day we were talking about uh, some of the transplant some of the prosthesis for the foot and what we get from that conversation if i could use that information to help progress with the discussion in another area say for example uh, in this case with who on policy that will be fantastic and on the other hand, it could be from a different, totally, totally different area because as academics, we also talk to other academics in other subject areas. Again, if I use this as an example, I was speaking to a colleague of mine, John, the other day. Uh, he's a, a forensic chemist and we were talking about fluorescence in bones and all that. And I happen to know another organic chemist uh, who's been working in this area. So from that conversation, I figured out that there are some specific techniques that forensic scientists use and organic chemists that use that we could use within understanding bone tissue mechanics. Wow. So that kind of conversations does help to move the science forward. And and I always say it's all about people, and I'm I'm very much a people person. I won't be here talking to you if I do <laughs> if I didn't have my students or my colleagues who have done all the hard work. I I sit here and talk, but it's yeah. it's my my colleagues and my students who have done all the work, all the hard work. So it's for me to, and I always say it's every day is you learn something new, and you learn from sources where you think you didn't expect to learn. Boom would like to thank TechScan for their support in setting up this interview with Nachi. TechScan's unique pressure measurement systems use thin, flexible, high-resolution sensors to help you measure gait asymmetries, perform joint analysis, or assess balance and sway. TechScan technology has been validated by leading researchers worldwide, with thousands of publications ranging from studies evaluating the effect of gait training in elderly patients to the effects of energy drinks on postural stability. TechScan's technology offers portability, versatility, and unique complementary information for your gate lab. So today in this episode, you've talked a lot about global impact and what your own interests are in all these different areas and how you're able to actually translate that and how we can think about things not just in our own little scope and our own little maybe even subject pool or population, but on a more global scale. So we're just wondering as like graduate students and professors and other people in academia that might be listening, do you have any tips for 
or advice for what we can do to be better involved or having a more global perspective in order to have better global impact in our own research? Like, do you have tips on how you've done that? Like, we can't, maybe not all of us going to work with the World Health Organization, but are there other things that you might recommend that we could do, um, at least to frame ourselves in that mindset? Sure. It's it's all it's always about keeping your eyes and ears open and thinking about real life problems. Many times we all think that, oh, I got to do this paper or I got to get my PhD or I finish my dissertation and what's the easiest way to do it. Once we think beyond that, because I've been dealing with again, I'm here speaking to you because of my students, my colleagues and People who come to me with real life problems, and I've always dealt with practitioners, either podiatrists, physiotherapists, PNO professional, or orthopedic surgeons. Uh, one of my other PhD students was a plastic surgeon. So they come back with real life problems and say, Oh, this is what we tried to do, it didn't work, or this is what we want to achieve. So you tend to apply your own knowledge, engineering, and technology education, and knowledge that you have had over the years to solve those problems. So always uh, keep an um, open mind about, keep an open mind about getting in any questions and trying to answer them uh, in, a, in a really open way. And that that's what helps to look at real life problems. What, what brought me into doing some of the stuff that I do, either in assistive devices or the majority of work that I do on diabetes, is about that and how can I create that impact? How can I help people? And as I said, it's, I'm, I'm very much a people person and I want to help people out. And diabetes is another major thing. Every 20 seconds, the IDF reports that someone is getting their limb amputated because of diabetes. So when I first got my first uh, grant about five, six years ago on diabetes, that was the target. And I said, if I could do one thing to reduce this, even by few seconds, a few minutes, and I've achieved what I want to achieve. And uh, we're definitely, some of the projects that we're working on in terms of materials, in terms of footwear, in uh, our projects in India, Tanzania, and, and other countries, that's what we aim to do. So what would you say you are most excited about for the future of biomechanics? One of the things that I've, I've recently spoke about is um, biomechanics has a huge role to play in terms of continuous monitoring of patients. Say, for example, we, we all tend to bring in our own subjects for research projects, our patients for assessing a specific clinical condition. So we see them in our lab on a particular time window, and we are artificially creating that space and time. Instead, think of what will happen if they walk, when they walk out of our lab space? What, what happens in their workplace? What happens when they um, do stuff at home? And that's what we need to understand for effective clinical management. So us biomechanists, we, we all have a huge role to play in terms of developing technology techniques for continuous monitoring of these patients, which would then help the clinicians for effective clinical management. And I'm quite excited about it because we have new sensors, we have new techniques in which we report our data. We have quite a lot of young and enthusiastic researchers like yourselves to come in and then um, think uh, beyond what we have in the box 
to um, help these clinicians and help these people who who are in need of support. Yeah, that's that's super exciting, and I think that's you're very much in line with what a lot of us are excited about for the future of biomechanics. Like we can't even imagine the variability and the amount of data and all the different things that we could see in the sort of quote unquote, you know, real world data and phenomena. So I think that's exactly what we're excited about too. So thank you for sharing that. Thank you for talking with us today. It's been really wonderful to hear from you and about all of your different research interests and also your sort of global impact um, and and perspective there. So thank you really for sharing all that. Thank you. It's, it's It's been great speaking to you both. If people want to follow you or follow your work, we, we found your Twitter and that's Nachi C. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. Nachi C. And is there any other place that you like to post or um, share what you're doing? The other um, Twitter account is Staffs by Mac. Okay. Staffs by Mac and Nachi C are the main two places that uh, people can figure out. And there are there are other, other things too, like the Staffs by Mac Facebook page and um, our press office does some press releases in terms of uh, some of our um, latest research. Oh, awesome. Okay. Well, thanks, Nachi. So thank you to Nachi for that interview. <laughs> what? <laughs> Melissa just gave me the most frightened face I've ever seen. Frightened? <laughs> I don't know what I'm she sorry. sees. Well, there's an earring. I just found she an just, earring in here. So what she did was she was turned away from me, and then when she started talking, she turned directly to look at me. And <laughs> <laughs> I was looking for you for confirmation. I'm not we're ready you <laughs> to go. Okay, you can start that Great. over if you want. Um, no, let's just keep going. So. We're going to, speaking of fail, research fail, well, we weren't speaking we of weren't research fail. We weren't speaking of any fails. But, <laughs> but that was kind of a fail. Anyway, here is our research fails. <laughs> yeah, so. <laughs> okay, so this is where the research fails music goes. The music goes. goes. <laughs> I was like waiting for it to come on. Research fails. Yes, it does. Dear God, okay. So I had a research fail recently that I actually was thinking about this. Like, we talk about research fails on the podcast all the Mm -hmm. time, but I had never – we don't really talk about it with our labs, or I haven't really changed my own behavior, like, in my formal, like, setting. Right. So I gave lab meeting last week Mm -hmm. in our lab, and it was really, I feel like, a good opportunity for me to just try to share a research fail with the lab, which Mm -hmm. is the one I'll share with you guys today. Um, So – I submitted a paper this past, like, November to um, a journal, and immediate. it was my first paper. I was so excited. Mm-hmm. Um, first first author paper, yeah. Um, and everyone was on board. It took a little while to get, get there, but, like, everyone was pumped. And then, like, almost immediately, like, less than 24 hours, <laughs> <laughs> we got an email back that said that they thought the scope of the paper was like slightly too clinical or just a little too clinical for them. Yeah. Um, which was disappointing for sure. Mm-hmm. And 
Um, but both of my advisors were super helpful in kind of working through it. And yeah, Scott was even like, I expect this, like almost. When... Yeah, well, like our advisor's just not phased at all. Yeah. He's just like, okay. And it's like, well, like we're still mad. <laughs> He's like, let's just find another one. <laughs> and when we were in lab so, meeting and we were like, oh, well, yeah. how do you, like, or you asked him, like, when did it start happening that it wasn't yeah. like, it didn't phase him as much? And he was just like, well, it just, like, happened so many times that yeah. eventually you just, like, kind of became numb to it. Yeah. He always starts off, like, say, talking about failure, that, like, when I was a new professor, I was, like, fresh out of grad school, didn't really know what I was doing. Mm -hmm. And we're all just, like, I think we all cannot imagine that version. Yeah. Like, we're, yeah. Like, that's we're really like, true. sure, yeah. you didn't know what you were doing. <laughs> Um, but it is always nice to hear. It is great to hear that. Um, and it's good that, like, you feel like you have that support because yeah. I know you were super excited about <laughs> it. And it's, like, so exciting to have it out of your hands. And, yeah. like, and then, like, immediately, <laughs> immediately getting it back. back and you're like, ah. <laughs> So I was like, okay, back to the drawing board. <laughs> but it was good. I think we made it better as we hope to do with failure. That's like my, like, I always hope that my response to failure is like immediately like, oh yeah, let's, let's just get it, turn it around. I'm so I'm thankful great. for this. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it definitely, there was a little bit of a lag time, but now I think that the paper's better and we're resubmitting it. So. Yeah. I know you texted me about oh, yeah, it right away. Yeah. And like, like. I have a research fail. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm just like, they're not worthy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Melissa, I said my two advisors, but really Melissa was like the number one support. So. <laughs> because, yeah, you like want that, like you want that support that's like, it's going to be okay. Like it's going to be even better. But like <laughs> the immediate support you want, or at least I want, is to just be like rude. Like <laughs> we don't need them. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I don't know if I ever told this story on Boom, um, my rejection from grad school. Oh, yeah. Um, I no, Actually, I don't good. talk about it that much because sometimes I'm like, maybe I shouldn't be here. <laughs> no, this <laughs> but, is the best story ever. Yeah, when I applied to Stanford, um, I was living in Cape Town, South Africa at the time, doing research there, like in between, like right after undergrad. And so I like flew... I saw that I got an interview. Well, first of all, I was, like, not planning to apply. My advisor mm -hmm. at Akron suggested it, and I was like, that is a joke. And also, like, I'm not going to waste 100 whatever dollars <laughs> applying to somewhere. application. <laughs> it was outrageous. Um, but anyways, he convinced me to apply, and then I got an interview. So I flew to California, and it's, it is really beautiful here. It's almost like annoyingly beautiful <laughs> no i'm just kidding it's it's just really nice it was like 75 deg degrees in um february and i was like i need to come here um so you kind of just like fall in love with the collaborative feel with like mm -hmm. the environment mm -hmm. and it's like both beautiful and the research is amazing um and so i went back to cape town and i like met all these amazing people and um then they were all getting their acceptances, and I hadn't heard back. And I'm everyone's like, it's okay. Like, I'm sure you're going to get it. Like, you're in South Africa. Maybe you're just like, something's wrong. <laughs> I was like, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> and, then, and then I didn't get in. Um, and I was super bummed. 
And then I was just like, eventually just like, whatever, like, I don't need that. I'm going to be fine. Like, I'll just move on. And then um, I'd also applied to the National Science Foundation Fellowship. And then I ended up getting that. And once I got that, um, I was like, well, I'm going to just send a letter, send an email to Stanford and let them know that I have my own funding now and just see if, you know, they would reconsider me. And like an hour later, they were like, okay, we reversed our decision and here's your acceptance letter. We're really excited to have you. And um, I, it was kind of like shocking because I was already in this mindset that like trying to get over it. Mm-hmm. I actually, <laughs> I actually journaled about it and I found my <laughs> journal over break. Oh, <laughs> it was like, me trying to get over it like oh, whatever it's that's, okay that's, they're rude Melissa gives herself good self-talk <laughs> I'm over it <laughs> who needs and them then, yeah and then I like got it and I was like oh my god this is amazing like uh yeah I was like who was oh. I kidding like I was really mad about it. <laughs> really sad but <clears throat> anyway so I feel like that was a failure not to not get in. I felt like it was a failure, but um, yeah, you never know what's going to happen and yeah. just keep going for what you want. And yeah, and advocating for yourself, I think, is a huge thing. Like, like you could have been like, oh, well, I got the fellowship and then still not done anything. But yeah, um, I think that's huge. And I think there was a story a little while back about someone who is undergrad trying to get into Harvard and they wrote, they got rejected and then mm-hmm. they wrote a rejection letter back to Harvard of the rejection. Like, I, reject reject, reject, I reject your rejection. rejection. Yeah. That's <laughs> so amazing. I feel like that's what you did <laughs> in a more polite <laughs> <Kind of>. way. <laughs> yeah. So you never know. You never know. And yeah, that was so, yeah, that, those rejections are kind of like a, a separate kind of camp of failure, I think. Um, mm-hmm. And that's, we were also inspired by Caitlin Kirby, yeah. who had worn a skirt of her rejection letters, and we have her on the podcast. Yeah. In, in the December last, last yeah, in December's episode, last month's episode, yeah, she was really awesome. And so, if you wanna, if you haven't listened to that yet, um, <laughs> go back and listen. Go to back. It. First of all, why haven't you listened? <laughs> it's twenty twenty. <laughs> it's twenty twenty. Get with it. Get caught up on Boom. It's a new year. You can't start off on the wrong foot. <laughs> <laughs> it's twenty twenty, and we're gonna yell at you right now. <laughs> um. Anyway, thanks for. Sharing failure, Melissa, with us. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for <laughs> failing <laughs> and for being open about it. Yeah, thanks to all the Boom <clears throat> listeners out there. If you have any fails, please send them our way. We love to hear and share. Yeah, we'd love to support you through your failures. So, mm-hmm. Melissa will know. give you self- good self-talk any day you need it. Yeah, just let me know what kind of vibe you want. If you, because I'm happy to throw either one out to you. I'm happy to, to be the positive. Like we can do this, and I'm happy to write some threatening letters. So just, just kidding, kind of. Just let me know what you want. Got your back. We never advocate for violence here on Boom. No, let me just say that. Yeah. So. But threatening words, you know? <laughs> I won't even do that, but we can pretend. Boom, love. Okay. Anyway, so thank you uh, for listening to the podcast. Yeah, we love it. Yeah. Again, I'm Melissa. I'm Hannah. And you can follow Biomechanics on Our Minds at Twitter, 
at biomechanicsoom. Or email us if you have any research fails, people you think you want uh, to interview as part of Student Voices, or people you want us to interview mm-hmm. as part of Boom, at biomechanicsonourminds at gmail.com. Yeah. And uh, if you like the podcast, please rate us to show your support um, on Apple Podcasts. Mm-hmm. Um, leave a comment and tell us why you love us so much um, so I can read them before I go to bed. <laughs> yeah, I believe we have a like 5.0 right now. So we do. So if you're try. not going to rate a 5.0, don't mess it up for us. <laughs> but do tell us how you feel. Feel free to leave a comment. But yeah, if you have negative 5.0. comments, yeah, please send us an email. <laughs> And thank you to Peter Washington, who is a graduate student at Stanford, for all of his amazing music for Boom. It just makes it so much more fun, and we enjoy every every clip. Every clip. It it makes (laughs) it really makes the podcast better. I know people come here for the music. So. Um, and also a huge thank you, of course, to the International Society of Biomechanics and for all their support and just encouragement with the podcast. It's always great. Yeah. Biomechanics, Biomechanics off, off our minds. minds.